Over the last year, we've certainly covered a lot of marketing applications here at Tech Emergence. Many people know of our deep marketing research that we've done. If you're on techemergence.com and you click on the research tab, one of our biggest reports is on the landscape of machine learning and marketing applications and what industries are going to be affected first. When it comes to search traffic and when it comes to requests for speaking engagements, marketing is often near the top of the list right there with healthcare and finance. But marketing doesn't tell the whole story when it comes to B2B sales. At some point, we have to take these clicks and turn them into appointments. At some point, we have to take these email addresses and we have to turn them into phone calls and we have to get people on the horn or in person somewhere to close actual deals. This week, we speak with Vitaly Gordon, who is the VP of Data Science and Engineering at Einstein, so Salesforce's artificial intelligence application. Salesforce, obviously one of the largest, fastest growing, most exciting B2B companies on the planet. And they have a pretty significant artificial intelligence initiative called Einstein. And we speak with Vitaly this week about two things primarily. Number one, where is artificial intelligence serving a role in sales enablement today? Where is it already making a difference? Where are we seeing changes kind of take place and functionality actually being of use? And then secondly, what will become the norm? In other words, two years from now, three years from now, four years from now, how will the CRM and sales tool ecosystem be different to be able to leverage artificial intelligence to make salespeople, sales managers more productive. Vitaly paints a pretty interesting picture of where he sees the low-hanging fruit, as well as some of the unique challenges with sales data and with B2B data in general, which really are quite different from the challenges that people in the B2C world often deal with. So this episode deals a lot with useful tangible lessons for B2B AI applications, and also a nice coherent future vision of the kinds of changes we might expect ahead for AI sales enablement tools. So I hope this is useful for the folks tuned in. Without further ado, this is Vitaly with Salesforce here on AI and Industry. So Vitaly, where I thought we'd kick things off is about the current sort of state of artificial intelligence and sales enablement. We've certainly covered a lot in marketing. There's a lot of excitement in this space. But I don't think many people have as close of a view to the ground as you do in terms of where AI is actually sort of serving a role in sales enablement today, if you could kind of get us up to speed. Yes, definitely. So sales enablement definitely captures some kind of a myriad of different business processes that reach anything from you know lead generation to you know everything all the way kind of to closing and then also about how to make our sales teams you know as efficient as possible and we have definitely worked on you know a lot of solutions in that space and anything from lead scoring opportunity scoring forecasting kind of more and more use cases and it's really interesting, I would say, that the approach that is needed to solve these kind of problems in not just the sales space, but in the enterprise space in general, where it's very different from the kind of consumer background that at least, you know, I and many of the data scientists uh, come from. Yeah, yeah. And this is definitely a lot of work that we had to do, not just around the solving the actual problem, but solving also what our customers really care about which is everything around, you know, privacy, security, and kind of a bunch of things like that. Maybe we can poke into this, Vitaly. I mean, you're going out of your way to sort of mention this dynamic of how different it is. I think some people listening in will be aware that a lot of the data science action is in the big consumer companies. 
for pretty obvious reasons. You get a lot of volume there. You know, for a million dollars of revenue, you might have a hundred thousand transactions or something. You know, depending on what the price points are that you're selling on Amazon or something. So we're looking at you know pretty big numbers. It's where a lot of the excitement is. How different was it to try to find kind of what are the right kinds of data that's going to be required to solve the right kinds of problems in this B two B context versus B two C? A lot of our audience is there, so I'm interested in how that shift was for you. So it was honestly a very transformational shift, and I was honestly very surprised about just how some things I took for granted working in the consumer space were very different in the enterprise space. The best example is just access to data. As a data scientist, I used to get intimately familiar with the data set I've been working on, which is something that, especially as a vendor, giving these services to our customers, they're not as comfortable with that as, you know, kind of consumers. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Really get asked. And uh, there was an, a whole array now of practice. How can we do machine learning without actual access to the actual data? Like, you know, the business transaction and some of it is our customers kind of most sensitive data. And, you know, they're absolutely correct. And, you know, their opinion that they don't want people outside their organization to access it. And that requires a very different skill than, you know, you would find in a traditional consumer AI space. Yeah, I guess in a consumer AI space, you just have your terms of service and people check the box and you get a million people to check the box and kind of end of story, more or less. You know, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But obviously, I'm oversimplifying. In the B2B space, yeah, we're talking about information that, you know, if you know what a consumer buys for movie tickets on your movie ticket platform, what's the worst you can do? But I mean, if you know everything about the transactions or sales details or contacts of an oil and gas company, the answer to what's the worst you can do is terrible, terrible things. That's the answer. I suspect that that is part of why the guard is up a little bit higher for those folks and why there need to be ways to kind of move around this proprietary stuff to still have enough to train on. Is that kind of the problem? That definitely is. And kind of the way we approach this problem is we actually invested a great deal in automation. And basically, there is a new area that is rising in machine learning where I think we are at Salesforce here on the kind of very front of it, which is automated machine learning, which means that how to do machine learning without a human in the loop or with very minimal involvement. And really, privacy is just one of the problems. But the other problem that also is very different in the enterprise space is the sheer scale. Because enterprise customers tend to be even sales enablement. Sales enablement for Fortune 500 companies is very different than a mom and pop shop. It's completely different processes with different data sets. And, you know, if the standard MO for building, you know, a machine learning offering is to have a team of data scientists sit and work on it for, you know, weeks or months, obviously that doesn't scale for hundreds of thousands of enterprises and, you know, multiple and multiple of processes. That is why automation is just a key to being successful in the enterprise. So understood, and maybe more folks who are going to be working in B2B or working in the enterprise are going to kind of learn that the hard way as the years progress. And so you had to make this pretty big shift into moving into this space and into trying to build out solutions that are going to help 
you know, these business clients as opposed to consumers on some kind of aggregate platform of some kind, which we might say, not to take credit from anybody, is potentially an easier task in many circumstances for a variety of reasons, data volume, privacy concerns and data access stuff, whatever. When it comes to what can be done, obviously Einstein is only you know, less than two years old from what I gather in terms of an initiative. I think it would be ridiculous for people to suspect that we could boil the ocean. You mentioned some elements of kind of reporting, some other areas of kind of sales enablement. Are there specific sort of applications that maybe are actually kind of accessible for businesses of a certain size? And if there's parameters, for example, if in order to have this AI-enabled reporting or AI-enabled alerts or something, we need a certain amount of data, that would be useful context too. But is there anything you can put a finger on for kind of, you know, what AI can do sort of in your ecosystem today, even if things didn't progress in the future, just freeze it today, kind of where are we at? So I would say today, I think the area where we had a lot of success is around really optimizing the job of different sales individuals. And by optimizing their job is really, if you think about sales and let's say, you know, the inside sales representative as an example, a lot of the work is a lot of just process and automation and following a playbook and all that is not actually sales. There's a lot of things that they spend time on actually doing things that machines are very good at. So one of the best examples we have is just ranking leads. And if you have yeah, just, yeah. you know, thousands of leads coming in, that is definitely something that is any inside sales person can relate to. Just going after this, and most of them will probably will not pan out to anything, just statistically speaking, right? And there is a lot of data around these leads, and there are also, you know, the historic results of which leads have pan out positively for that business and which leads are not. So this is a, just a classical machine learning problem that we should just employ, you know, machines to, you know, organize kind of our call queue for us and not so much spend time on kind of chasing down and calling them. Because if you think one of the worst things you can do is, you know, what unfortunately happens to many, many businesses is this first in, first out routine that just, you know, leaves so much on the table to be desired for. And this is just kind of the entry point. And then you can take it for, you know, more and more advanced stages of the sales enablement pipeline. I really like starting with this example because we can see how, you know, at a company like Salesforce, you know, one of the fastest growing kind of hottest B2B firms out there, the idea of lead scoring would be of massive value. I mean, you're getting new contacts in. This is the lifeblood of the business is closing deals. Who do we talk to? When do we talk to them to make money? I mean, is there anything more important? So clearly there should be focus there, but also clearly not an easy problem. So, you know, when it comes to Netflix, we get enough people watching horror movies and romance movies and we get a sense of, okay, you like this one and this one. I kind of know what to recommend to you. I can put the right stuff in front of you to improve your experience. Okay, neato. For lead scoring, if I'm selling life insurance, you're not exactly going to transfer a lot of those lessons to if I'm selling pickup trucks or if I'm selling jet engines or if I'm selling you know, ball bearings. And if I'm selling jet engines, I might not even have enough deals in a given year for you to train a damn algorithm on no matter how hard you try. So we have a lot of inherent challenges here. What are those big hurdles for you? So you're absolutely right. These challenges are really kind of at the heart of why enterprise AI is so hard and why really we haven't seen as much innovation as compared to the consumer space. Yep. Right. 
So you're absolutely correct. It comes from, you know, anything with just low amounts of data, which is, you know, a challenge by itself and requires, you know, techniques that actually come more from a space of anomaly detection than actual, you know, pure classification. Like for some businesses, and we do have some of them on our platform, success might be, you know, one out of a thousand from, you know, the leads come in and actually result. So you have to use different techniques in order to solve that business compared to a business that, you know, closes 50%. And then also the data that is being used in order to understand whether, you know, that lead will pan out is completely different. And like I said before, what makes this thing extremely difficult is every time a customer signs up, we actually have no idea who this customer is and what business they're in and how their pipeline looks like. So this is why I said automation is key because we just cannot, you know, turn every engagement into professional services engagement. Yeah. The kind of nuance between all those different industries and how challengingly different they are, you know, again, as compared to movie watching, which we might be able to scale from 1,000 groups of humans to another 1,000 group of humans. Is there a goal kind of in the, you know, midterm, longer term to take data about lead scoring from, let's say, you know, 500 different car dealerships and be able to, in some way, have a slightly off the bat, more informed model for a new car dealership that we close or do the same thing for life insurance or do the same thing for, you know, you name it, B2B services. Is there a vision to find clusters where there is overlap and there are transferable lessons? It's a very hard problem, but I wonder if it's reasonable to suspect as an objective for a company like yours. So this is definitely an area we have been, you know, thinking a lot about. So a great example for where kind of this thing works is if you take the approach that Tesla took to intelligent cars compared to other car manufacturers, where all the cars actually share data between them, right? And kind of the benefit that you get from it is your car gets smarter based on the behavior of a different car. Right. And obviously, you know, the price you need to pay for it is that your own personal driving data is used to make all the cars better. And that enabled them to have actually, you know, massively more data in order to solve that specific problem than other car manufacturers that, you know, don't take that approach. We have definitely, you know, are thinking about kind of whether we should have a similar maybe industry based approach where, you know, companies can opt in into kind of such engagement to make everyone is better. But again, unfortunately, in the enterprise space, even companies in the same exact space in the same industry still behave and look and manage their data. And like just an anecdotal something I can tell you that Salesforce as a platform comes with a standard schema where, you know, you put your data in. Also, Salesforce is highly customizable, and actually 80% of the data in Salesforce is in this customizable part of it. Hmm. It's not standard part. So still, every business that we see, even though our product comes with a very well-defined schema, 80% of the data is not in that schema, but in the extension that customers create based on that schema. What you're saying is even if you get 2,000 car dealerships, you're looking at a vast bulk of the information is going to be formatted, organized, sorted, probably in very bespoke and unique little ways that you might not be able to predict and transfer. Exactly. Yeah. What a hard problem that is. Well, I like addressing this, not because I'm trying to in some way call out your guys' shortcomings, but because I think people should know that this is hard. 
right? And if anybody's listening in and, and the goal is, oh, we're going to sell this product to all these businesses. And then with the data from all of them, we're going to train this algorithm to do X. It's like, well, you're hearing how hard that is at Salesforce. So you might want to check yourself. This is not child's play. And this is in no way easy. And, and obviously you're reiterating that point here. Here's a, another follow-up question that I have that I think would be interesting from your perspective. When you look ahead, let's say five years into the future, and you think, okay, where is AI going to play the most prominent role in sort of the CRM sales enablement space? You know, five years from now, we're going to have salespeople, SDRs, sales managers, CEOs, CMOs, whoever, hopping into these systems, looking at the new leads, building out kind of, you know, follow-up campaigns or whatever. Where is AI likely to touch the lives of the people inside those kind of CRM systems half a decade out? Where will people notice, oh, this is what AI helps me with? I have a kind of very maybe futuristic view on this where I honestly believe that pretty much everything will change. And I think it comes with our expectation as customers. Think about it, we call you know a phone that was already invented 11 years ago a smartphone, and now we have smart watches. I think very soon we'll stop adding the tag smart to things. 100%. And we'll, and we'll instead just call everything else stupid or you know something. This, uh, is, this is so awesome. I love how uncouth you're being about this. This is just great. Okay, keep going. I'm excited. So one of the things that a lot of the enterprise products today are still kind of in that stage where, you know, it's more about data collection or data organization systems. So like one of the analogies I have for a lot of these systems is like these cop shows where, you know, at the end of the shift, cops have to stay to type in the report and to file it. And that is really kind of the state of a lot of the enterprise today. But the entire world is changing and people are, you know, no longer are comfortable with, you know, just manually entering information or just the fact even thinking about all of the auxiliary stuff that they need to do in their day today. I think the way the world will change, and especially we in the enterprise space, is people will just do their jobs. And, you know, we already have, think about it, a lot of sensors in place that kind of, you know, know where we are, what we're doing. And I'm talking about things like email, calendars, locations, and meetings. And we kind of can use all of that information and start creating this business knowledge base, which a lot of kind of the enterprise systems are, not so much by, you know, actively asking people to put time on their side as part of their, you know, work week to enter all of that information. So that is kind of, for me, the first stage of this, like, completely transforming the data entry. Now that we kind of have all of that data coming in from so many different sources, I think what kind of all of the system will become is, you know, kind of like the Ironman Jarvis. Will we actually going to use the system more to start talking to you and kind of helping you to manage your day more efficiently and, you know, telling you what to do as opposed to, you know, having this system that you need to go log in somewhere, go through like, you know, 20 different clicks in order to get, you know, one small piece of information. You know, the amount of data will just grow and grow and grow. We have to move away from letting people, you know, try to find the relevant data to do their job. It actually completely has to reverse itself. So now the machines will basically automatically surface the information we need to do our jobs. Ah, yes. Okay. So I'm on board with the vision. I would think that most people listening in are saying, yes, by golly, that's, 
That's how I would hope it would work. Can we paint a little bit of how that might transfer to sales? So if we imagine the activities of salespeople and sales teams on the data entry side or salespeople and sales teams on the prompting to action side, what might, if we we make kind of a sci-fi movie about the sales team of the future in five years, what might we see somebody doing? How is the experience different? If you just take a couple aspirational snippets from your own mind. So let's say, you know, you're salespeople, you know, you wake up in the morning and you have a smart speaker in your house. And the same way that people use a smart speaker today to, you know, ask them about the news or the weather or, you know, what time it is, like, you know, what about asking your smart speaker about, hey, you know, what should I work on today? Because every one of us today has a job that our job consists of making a multitude of decisions. Like we need to decide, hey, yes, is yes. the most important thing that I should do today or it is not. So think about in the sales enable, you might be working on a multiple deals in parallel. And obviously these deals in the enterprise space take some time. So it's not there is like daily activity. And then you can say, oh, you know, I just received the news that there is a leadership change in this company. I think you should know it. I think that might affect your deal. Or you now have an email in your inbox. And I think some of these things we're already, you know, doing some to a certain extent. You have an email on your inbox that we kind of triangulated to a deal that you're working on and that email has negative sentiment. So, you know, you should go and check it out because you might have a problem that you need to intervene Uh. or you need for some help. And that is kind of more of the fact that the right information is surfaced to you at the right time. That is kind of, you know, just part of it. Yeah. So hopefully the paradigm you're articulating is going to click in people's minds. Can we basically sort through the myriad of task categories and ensure that maybe the most useful ones for the company goals and for our own job are going to be at the top, whether that's emails to reply to or look at, whether that's leads that we need to get a hold of, etc. I guess in a future world, hopefully we will be prompted to what's going to be most productive just by using the software. Exactly. Yep. Uh, Well, I've got my fingers crossed that you guys bring that to life, Vitaly. I think there's a lot of people rooting for you on that. I very much appreciate you sharing your ideas this year. So thanks again for being a guest on the AI and Industry Podcast. No problem. It was great being here. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week. 